Chapter 23 of Harry D. or Making It Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Harry D. or Making It Out by Francis J. Finn. Chapter 23 In Which Tip Makes a Speech. It is hardly necessary to state that Mr. Middleton was let into the secret that swelled the breasts of the artful Dodgers. He was delighted with their purpose and abetted the benevolent conspirators to the full of his power. Before supper, on a Monday evening, Tip approached Mr. Auber. Mr. Auber, he said, touching his cap very respectfully, I wish you'd kindly let me have the keys of the washroom. Myself and the rest of the Dodgers want to fix up in style. A vision of flying shoe brushes, knotted towels, missing shoe blacking, much raising of dust, and general confusion shot before the prefect's fancy. He was familiar with such occurrences, and he looked at Tip very seriously. Oh, we're not going to cut up. Honor bright, Mr. Auber. If there's a single thing out of place, you can punish me. Mr. Auber, much as he had suffered from Tip, knew that the boy before him could be depended upon. Out of the wreck of Tip's reputation, truth had been saved, and it is hard to despise a boy so long as his word is sacred. So the prefect tended Tip the keys. More, he refrained from going near the washroom, though for the next twenty minutes it was occupied by fifty boys who, in the manner of scrapes, were makers of history. And his trust was well placed. Never was there a more sober set of students than the fifty now in the washroom. They spoke quietly and pursued their work steadily. One would think they were preparing for a funeral. There is one thing I notice, boys, said Tip, when nearly all were ready to go out, and it's worth thinking about. We've been in here nearly twenty minutes, I reckon, and Mr. Auber hasn't come near us. What did you tell him, Tip? queried Tom. I told him I'd be responsible, and that our fellows didn't intend to cut up. Yes, sir, cried Tip, his eyes dancing and his face flushing, and he takes my word and he trusts us Dodgers just the same as if we had acted like gentlemen all the time. There he is now, down at the other end of the yard, looking on at a game of nigger baby just as if we were all in San Francisco. And I guess if most of us were in his place, put in Harry Quip, we wouldn't trust the Dodgers half as far as we could see them. I really believe the Dodgers, as they left the washroom, were in love with Mr. Auber. They were a wild set of fellows, but owing partly to their naturally good dispositions and their religious training, partly to Tip's control and Playfair's influence, they were roughly honest. Show a set of boys such as these that you value their honor, that you take their word as something serious and sacred, and you can count on them infallibly. I am speaking here of the small boy. The Dodgers created a sensation when they entered the yard. There were no dudes in that notorious association, the popular taste among them tending rather to slouchiness. But now Tip led the procession, wearing a stiff hat, and upon his spotless white shirt rested a jeweled necktie. He wore his Sunday clothes, and his boots were blacked. 
Nor was it the perfunctory style of blacking which generally characterized his efforts in that direction. Even the back of the heels, where the lively small boy finds it difficult to reach, shone as perfectly as the shining toes. Tip's splendors were emulated, though not surpassed, by those of several others. In a word, and to bring the picture vividly before all, there were fifteen stiff hats in the crowd. Now the Dodgers were known to be prejudiced in the manner of stiff hats, each member ordinarily feeling it to be his duty to smash in every one he could reach with his hand. Clearly, then, something great was at hand. The bell rang for supper, and the boys, with a promptness and order that were commendable, fell into ranks. So prompt were they that Mr. Middleton gave the signal to march before the large boys had fairly gotten together. The large boys, still waiting the signal to start, at once noticed that there was something strange about the advancing line, and Mr. Cavan, who, with his back to the approaching procession, was eyeing his charges, suddenly saw one hundred solemn faces break into luxuriant grins, like a transformation scene in a pantomime. He turned, he saw the solemn-faced tip, the serious line of small boys, the fifteen stiff hats variegating the procession like so many banners, and then Mr. Cavan, the strict, the exact tamer of boys and trainer of men, burst into a roar of laughter. The small boys passed on unmoved, though their every step was accompanied by bursts of hilarity. Supper went off without a snap, Harry Quip remarked as we pushed out of the refectory, which, being interpreted, means that we ate a good quantity of food in the smallest compass of time. Mr. Aubert, said Tom, it's a pretty cool night, and if you please, the fellows would like it if you'd open up the washroom. As not a boy remained in the yard, Mr. Aubert was compelled to enter with the crowd. On his entrance, there was a dead silence. Tom moved over quietly to the door and shut it. Every boy rose and removed his hat, and Tip, nervous but eager-eyed, stepped forward. Mr. Auber, he said, we Dodgers have permission to make you a present. Here it is. Frank Burdock advanced and presented a silver watch. Mr. Auber took it mechanically with one hand while he began passing the other through his hair very rapidly. It was difficult to judge which of the two was the more frightened, which blushed the more violently, Tip or Mr. Auber. Ten to one, they both faint, whispered the irreverent quip in my ear. Go on, Tip, you're doing immensely, said Tom, in the voice that so often carried encouragement. Mr. Auber, continued the orator, shuffling his feet and getting one shoulder hopelessly higher than the other, We've been a blamed hard lot. One of Tip's arms seemed to get out of joint at the escape of the word blamed. Go on, growled Tom. Blamed is all right. And, sir, we've acted in such a way that I guess you wish we were all dead. He paused. And buried, too, he added in a burst of inspiration. But we didn't mean any harm, and we're sorry, and we like you, and we're going to do better. Ain't we, fellows? Every variety of affirmation came mumbling forth from the chorus. Then Tip made a bow and limped away. He looked like a person suffering from almost total paralysis. 
"'Boys,' said Mr. Auber, taking his hand out of his hair, "'I'm astonished. I'm gratified. I'm touched. I wasn't prepared for this. I'm afraid I don't understand you at all. If things have gone wrong, it must have been my own fault.' His lips quivered and his eyes grew moist. I'm not able to say what I'd like to say, but I'm deeply, deeply grateful. With these words, he ran the watch through his hair, but not a boy laughed. There's going to be a deadlock, whispered Joe White to Tom. I'll bet there won't, boys, he added aloud. Three cheers for Mr. Auber. All shrieked three times, and three cheers for the Dodgers. The hurly-burly was renewed. Now, Mr. Auber, continued Tom, there's half an hour left. Won't you please tell us a story? Mr. Auber's face put on new terror. I can't tell a story. I'd be delighted to oblige you all, but I never told a story in all my life. Perhaps you never tried, sir. Go on, Mr. Auber, implored Quip. If you get stuck, we'll help you out. Mr. Auber put the watch in his pocket to the great relief of many of us who feared he would destroy it, ran his hands through his hair and said, Once upon a time, he never finished that first sentence, but began bravely on another. It was the first step that cost. Presently, Mr. Auber was transformed. His eyes flashed and his hands moved in easy, striking gestures and in a flow of English, strong, pure, simple, the like of which we had never heard, he poured forth a tale of heroism and adventure that set our eyes blazing, riveted us to our seats, brought the tears to our eyes, and convinced us that we were listening to the most eloquent storyteller we could hope to meet with. In the course of the narrative, Mr. Middleton came in, but not six of the spellbound audience, I dare say, observed his entrance. On he went, this wonderful Mr. Auber, till he had almost mesmerized his hearers. We suffered and loved and laughed with the hero, and when Mr. Auber came to an end, none of us dared break the silence. Mr. Auber was gone before Tip remarked, Well, that was stunning. It's the story of the hidden gem, all over, said Tom, and the only thing that I feel bad about is that Percy missed it. Mr. Auber was the hidden gem. Mr. Auber's trials were over. If any boy wished to give him trouble, he knew that he would have to answer to the Dodger crowd. Twice a week after supper, during the winter, did we assemble in the washroom to hear our prefect's narratives. He carried us away with him and up. His stories were elevating. They filled us with longings to be noble, to be heroic. And it is no exaggeration to say that the ideals of many were revolutionized. For example, Tip came to Tom one day and said, Tom, will you do me a favor? If I can, certainly. Well, I want you to stop calling me Dodger. Get Percy and all of your chums to do the same. You see, I used to be proud of that name, but now, eh, you understand. And Tip became Tip again and went home to help his father at the end of the year as honest, as gay, and as good as though he had done all the noble things which Mr. Auber had narrated of his choicest heroes.
End of chapter 23.